Tonight's talk is the courage of heart. Four qualities of the mind that are sustaining for our Dhamma practice. Faith, energy, patience, and renunciation. Listen for these qualities. Once the Bodhisattva was born as a prince, kind of a rebellious boy, so when he got about 16, his mother and father, the queen and king, sent him off to boarding school. But he wanted to go because he heard of this great master there. So he went through a long, dry deserts, thick forests, crossing streams. Finally, he arrived at this uh, great institute of learning and martial arts. And he found this uh, master that he had heard of by legend. And he studied. Weeks, months, several years went by. And he mastered all the arts and sciences of learning and uh, became particularly gifted at the martial arts, using them for inner understanding. He became a, um, a master of the five weapons, the bow and arrow, spear, sword, club, and shield. So one time his master called him in and, and said, I think you're ready to re return home and eventually serve uh, your, your province. I want to dub you Prince Five Weapons, but use your powers for good and fortune will always follow. Prince Five Weapons uh, shouldered his weapons and began the journey home again through dark forests and long wide deserts and crossing streams. Eventually he came to uh, a very thick forest with, with uh, hewn logs across the path and soldiers guarding it. And Prince Five Weapons, you know, what's up? And the shoulders, soldiers said, you can't go in there. Well, why not? Soldiers said, well, there's this, uh, this awful monster in there. His name's Sticky Hair. And anyone who goes in gets gobbled up. Prince Five Weapons considered, well, have I done all this training for nothing? I've developed this uh, great confidence. I've, uh, I have this courageous energy. I think I have patience for my limitations. And I think I can, you know, renounce my resistance to fear or whatever. So with that thought, he said uh, to the guards, he said, I can't turn back now. I've begun my journey. And with that, he hopped over the logs and went into the forest. The more he went, the taller the trees became and the more thick they were. And there'd be sudden sounds like the whoosh of an owl and he'd start, but then he'd continue. And then suddenly all the tall trees began splintering, crashing down. And there before him was this 44-foot monster. And there he stood. Prince Five Weapons looked up at these eyes as big as doors and, and uh, nostrils like black boulders and hands as big as tables with long broomstick fingernails and his teeth yellowed and uh, crooked and with holes so big that crows were nesting flying in and out. <laughs> Prince Five Weapons said, if you so much as even attempt to harm me, I'll shoot you. And with that he quickly whipped out uh, a bow from his quiver and pulled back, ready to release. And the sticky hair said, you, you're crazy. You have to be totally afraid of me. Anyone who's ever come in here has run with fear or been gobbled up. And Prince Five Weapons, undaunted, he says, afraid of you, you foul-smelling ogre. And with that, he fired the shot of the arrow right for the heart. But what happened? It just stuck in that sticky hair. And then he shot again. And within seconds, 50 arrows had flown trying to find some vulnerable spot, but everything stuck, even in his thicky, sticky eyebrows. And then he just shook like a wet, wet dog, and the arrows went flying in all directions, and Prince Five Weapons had to hold his shield, protect himself from his own arrows. But 
Did that stop him? No. Out came the spear, and that was lunged, you know, at about a 30-foot height up to his uh, breast, but it too just went in a few feet and dangled, stuck in the hair. And then his sword, swish, slash, and that too got stuck. And then his, without a thought, his club came pounding down on, on his foot with great force. But sticky hair monster, nothing happened. The stick, the ironwood club just bounced. Hmm, thought Prince Five Weapons. I have a powerful, you know, right hook. So he went up and punched with his right hand. What happened? He got stuck, and then his left. And he thought, well, I'm really good with you know, karate, so roundhouse kick, right foot, left foot, all stuck. <laughs> and he thought, I better use my head. <laughs> so he did, and crunched against his shin. And there he was, stuck, you know, hand, foot, head, all stuck. And so you hear a monster doing all this commotion. He began to get a little nervous himself, and he said, there's something about this little prince. He seems fearless. He seems to have the courage of a lion. I better inquire further before I eat him. And he went, <coughs> little Mr. Prince Five Weapons, is there something about you that I should know? <laughs> like, do you have some kind of secret weapon going for you? Prince Five Weapons, yes, I do. <laughs> I have the sword of Dharma, of wisdom within me. And were you to eat me? I'd slash you so bad you wouldn't know what happened to you. I'd shave all your sticky hair off and you'd be helpless in this forest. So you better let me go. And sticky hair monster said, well, I thought, I thought there was something heroic about you and I, I, I'm not going to even touch you. In fact, I never really intended to. I'm going to set you free and you can go back out to your, back to your province. And he unstuck him and set him down. Prince Five Weapons uh, uh, shouldered up his, uh, his weaponry again and said, well, fact is, I'm not going to let you free, Sticky Hair. Look how miserable you are. Why are you so unhappy? Is it because you've been so unkind to all the beings who have come through, the travelers who have been through here? And the Sticky Hair monster said, well, I actually am not so happy doing this. Prince Five Weapons said, you're not only miserable, you look terrible, you, you have bad breath, you're uncourteous, and you've caused a lot of problems. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go uh, if, you kind of, if you clean up your act. So I want you to sit down. I'm going to teach you some rising, falling, <laughs> and some lifting, moving, placing, and we'll see if we can get some happiness back in your life. So he gave him some instruction, you know, and had a hard time following his breath, but eventually he got a little taste of it and felt a, you know, a little moment of happiness, and then some walking meditation. And as Prince Five Weapons left, he said. Also, you must change your attitude and help the travelers who come through here. You know who are afraid, who can be harmed by other dangerous animals. And, uh, you know, kind of clean, clean up your scene around here. It's, it's kind of foul. And I'll be back to check on you. Prince Fire Weapons, he went on back. Years went by. Eventually, he became the, the guardian of the realm. became known as um, King Five Weapons, opener of the ways. And he eventually went back one day to check on his old friend Sticky Hair. And he really had gotten it together. Yeah, the forest was uh, no longer guarded by soldiers. The pathways were open. There were flower beds all around. Travelers were happy. And 
saying there was this really, you know, interesting, weird-looking dude in there. But his hair, you know, was now brushed clean, and he had no more uh, bad breath, eaten peppermint, and <laughs> and he seemed really, at last, a little happier. Eventually, he he went on to the next life, and many lifetimes, once. Uh, you know, it was an elephant and a giraffe, and gradually he was smaller, a deer, and uh, so forth. Finally, he became human being. He lies as a human being, and happier, he grew happier and happier. Kept evolving, and it's known that, you know, he's now comes to IMS. Not sure whether he's a girl or a boy, but he comes to practice, and he's advancing. Faith is the, uh, is the ground of our practice. It's our sense of place, our sense of path. It's the first real spiritual power uh, that creates a sense of dedication to the Dharma, a confidence in its power to fulfill and liberate, and a trust in the precise way it unfolds uniquely in each of us in its own time. Faith is the, the draw of the Dharma. It is our attraction to practice. The Buddhist Pali word bhavana means to bring into being, to cause the extraordinary qualities of the radiant mind to come forth. Four Brahma Viharas, kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, and the radiant mind of wisdom. As a meditation force, faith transform, transforms desire in its purest essence and depth into a strong sense of connection or passion for dharma. It's called dhamma raga. Raga is a word that means passion. And it can be passion as a sensual consumption and entrapment or passion as this a deep move toward liberation. Faith is based on wisdom, and therefore it's called in its most mature form uh, verified faith. So that by seeing the essence of things, the, the lawful nature, the Dhamma, the lawfulness of the universe, of life, that it's not chaotic, nor is it controlled. Like the very precious nature of earth itself that's formed out of the dust of the cosmos, so too everything within our experience, elements of body, elements of mind, mind states, consciousness itself, is a unified, lawful process not random. It's said in science that a crystallized, you know, a frozen water drop, the crystallized pattern of a frozen water drop is unique to each drop. If that drop were heated up and melted and then refrozen, it would be the same unique pattern, like no other crystal water drop in the world. And so in that way, if we were looked, we look closely at our experience, each moment is unique. You know, each quality of our being is a unique display of lawful nature. At the same time of its uniqueness, it has these universal characteristics of, of all experience just being two streams, a material, elemental stream, you know, the fire, water, earth, air of our nature and the whole universe, and the mental stream, images, emotions, mental states, consciousness, awareness itself, in continuous 
flow. And relating back to nothing at all. An essence of emptiness. Nothing absolute sustaining from moment to moment. This vision of Dharma, of truth, is what brings faith to its fulfillment, to its strength. So that we continue to feel our sense of place on this path. We continue to feel the draw a sense of connection to our practice. Earlier this year, um, a friend of ours um, came to visit us. Michelle and I had uh, submitted his name uh, for a, uh, an award, an acknowledgement from the Dalai Lama as, a, as an un- unsung hero. Someone who's actually quite legendary in, in, in uh, Polynesia, but really unknown to the rest of the world. The Hawaiian, young Hawaiian man in his 40s named Nainoa Thompson, who over the last uh, quarter century has been uh, intimately involved in the, uh, the rediscovery of Polynesian ways of wisdom and community through the vehicle of the double hull uh, sailing canoe that was reintroduced to. Polynesia and the Pacific after uh, 600 years of, of uh, absence. And so Nainoa's made it his life and his way, of his spiritual way. And he was telling us that their, their last major journey, kind of a completion of what's the, called the Polynesian Triangle, Hawaii to the north and New Zealand south and Rapa Nui, or Easter Island to the east, uh, which was the last and most difficult journey. He said, of all these years, 25 years of sailing, nearly 90,000 nautical miles, yet this was the most spiritual of the journeys. They had uh, prepared for it. And so when they, for all those years, it was a senior group, of women and men crew. And he he said it was the most spiritual because it was the most surrendered, you know, they were the least nervous and most trusting of their skills. And of more effortless letting the skills come forward. And when they finally reached their target, it was an amazement that caused them rather than the kind of previous exuberance of landings, like their first landing in Tahiti 26 years ago, half of Tahiti was out to greet them. It was the same. All of Rapa Nui was out to greet them, but the kind of exuberance and excitement now was a kind of calm amazement and valuing of their own spiritual natures that had gotten them there. A, a surrender to their uh, trust. In the same way, you know, our practice is a kind of navigation. We set out on a journey beyond the known, beyond the conceptual, honing the tools of our practice, the awareness, the faith, the energy, the patience. And the best we can do is you know, hoist our, our our sails and let the Dhamma winds blow into them and just pay attention. Let's pay attention to the conditions, to the patterns of natural law that appear and to follow them. What matters, finally, is an attitude of non-attachment to any goal to our entire journey. What matters is our commitment to the process of the practice itself. So that thoughts of reaching anything, attaining anything, any goal or no goal, really have no effect, leave no uh, footprints in the mind. Rather, the practice itself will 
naturally bear its own fruition. And our trust in that just deepens. Trust in the unique timing and unfolding in each of us, the Dharma. In the realm of Dharma, we are motivated by an uncommon courage, a strength of energy felt from our depth. This energy, called virya in the Buddhist Pali, means courageous effort, courageous energy. It means that once underway on our journey, there can be no return. We can never quite go back to the same blindedness in our habitual patterns. They reset, but not as strongly. And our ability to let go increases. Our ability to unravel the tight scheme of our habituated patterns uh, loosens. Even when we do stray for a moment in meditation practice for years, we're drawn back by that power of faith or trust. When we remember, when we reawaken, we're drawn back to that inner work of liberation. We realize only we, only we can do it. There's a poem by Mary Oliver called The Journey. One day you finally know what you had to do and began Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though, your, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds. And there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that you that kept you company and you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Dharma energy, courage, that, that supports our practice, we can, we can see it in three significant ways. We can see it as that energetic presence of mind in our moment-to-moment -moment effort. It is just what it takes to sit, to stand, to walk, to reach, to chew, to turn, just the effort to be with what's arising now, not what's past, not with not what has not yet arisen. Very fine and delicate effort to touch just this moment. Secondly, the courage of continuity through the fields of pleasure and pain, the stagnations that can arise with the Dhamma highs those inner Dhamma pleasures, calm, peace, bliss, joy, contentment. That's the stagnation part. And to be with the resistance, the lows, the difficulty, the hard terrains. It's the courage of continuity to, to go through these peaks and troughs. And thirdly, that accomplished energy 
that carry us, carries us through this journey to save the only life that we can. That's the sense of energy in its full bloom, that there's nothing else that really matters in this life, nothing else really to be doing than what we're doing. Awakening. Whether it's through the retreat practice or the fruits of our practice, where everything we, the whole entire way we experience the world contributes to the awakening of the heart. Accomplished energy in practice often is felt as this ease, this effortless effort, this fluid effort, like we're being carried by the current of the Dharma and really needing to contribute little to its motion, its forward momentum. The Christian monk brother David Stenlaross was spending time with the Canadian poet David White, who at the time was going through a real kind of crisis of life in unattending uh, the expression of gifts he had within. And therefore, what he was doing was costing him a great deal of energy and he was feeling exhausted and therefore spending some quiet time with bro Brother David. And at some point in their uh, days together, a quiet moment, when David White was quite open. Brother David said, you know, uh, the antidote to exhaustion isn't necessarily rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. This wholeheartedness is virya, is courageous energy, that which uh, sustains us on the practice. Patience is a power, as described in the Vasudhimaga, Path of Purification, uh, a compilation of, of teachings of the Buddha. Patience is a, is a power in the most profound spiritual sense. It's significant that the Buddha said patience is the path to the deathless. Patience is a, is a sense of being at home in oneself, being rooted, not needing anything else to add to the moment. The power of calm abiding, a, a peace with ourselves, an uncompromising acceptance with our experience. Kind of like water in the sense that, like still waters, It can absorb you know, the plunge of a stone quite easily without any lasting ripples. It takes in uh, any experience, any moment, whether profound or surface, strong thought or emotion, painful sensation or blissful one. And the wide space of the mind that can hold it that can acknowledge our response, our reaction to it. Patience acknowledges our strengths and limitations. Do we need to sleep? Or can we practice a little longer tonight? Are we weary of body or mind? And if not, is the imp impulse to go to sleep fear? Fear that we'll be tired tomorrow. Can we acknowledge that fear? Can we work with that fear? Possibly stretch our limitations, sit a little longer without the reactiveness of what may be tomorrow. 
can we be with this moment of pain a little longer? Or will it be a distraction? And will the skillful thing to do be to move mindfully? It's this wide mind of of non-reactive patience, acceptance, that allows us to flex, to stretch our hearts around what our experience is. Not to be limited by habit, by fear and desire, by our patterns. As you can see, as this retreat rolls along, the mindfulness itself is such a quality of rest, of repose, that the need for the same amount of food and sleep that we need that we need normally when we collect physical and mental toxins through the day lessens, vanishes. So we can play more. There's an old saying for uh, there's no for a yogi there's no night or day. The idea, that concept of this is sleep time and this is wake time, it really gives way to we rest when we need the rest. Rest of the time is practice. Tuning in to what we really need is like the harmony of a, of a musical instrument. It's a delicate tension of firmness and, and flexibility. It's too tight. The firmness goes to a, a strenuous uh, potness that can break or not bring a quality of delicate harmony. And if too, too loose, same. There, there can be no harmony. It's just a dull thud sound to the musical string. So we're working all the time with this awareness that finds that delicate tension. You know, all the time, each day, each sitting, each walking, and throughout it, we're finding that way of flexing and and firming the quality of our energy. And that comes from the attention of patience. Patience is the, the path to the deathless. It's also a power of conviction in how we live our lives. An example is the democracy leader in Burma, Aung San Suu Kyi. For a dozen years or so now, her practice has really been that of patience, where she unmovingly uh, stays where she really doesn't have to stay in her family's home in Rangoon, Burma. That is, she's free to leave. Even though she's under house arrest, she'd be free to leave the country. But she has not in all these years. She returned when her mother was dying. And that was when the democracy movement really uh, lifted its head in a great way in Burma. And she became the destined champion of this democracy, freedom from fear. Through it, her two children grew up and now are young men. Through it, her husband in England uh, grew sick and, and died. Through it, she's been tireless in confronting the truth, in making the truth of her conviction her practice patiently. When I was visiting her once, uh, when people were still allowed to visit, she'd said that earlier that day a diplomat had come and said to her, asked her, you know, aren't you afraid? There's, you're carrying this, this weight of the, the, the symbolic leader of this movement for freedom under these extraordinary circumstances of oppression. And, and armed might against you. And she said, "How? why should I be afraid of what's right? 
of what is good. He said, all the military might in the world uh, cannot overcome the might of, of Dharma, of what is true and right. In the same way, every time we set out to be mindful in a sitting, in a walking, in a, a navigation from one end of the building to the other, there's a quality of patience that's called for in standing for the good, standing for the truth of what our experience is as we take that entire journey, be it five minutes, be it five years. This is what we're here for. And this power of patience is an absolute necessity uh, in the power of our practice to liberate us. When we confront the hindrances, when we confront the stickiness in Prince Five Weapons, uh, clearly those five weapons can represent uh, the stickiness of attachment through the five sense doors or can represent the, the five hindrances that interrupt our focus and the rest of our awareness. Every time we feel that, that desire in the mind, that other things seem more attractive than the moment. You know, we're facing that stickiness of the mind. When we feel the frustration or irritation with what's happening, that we're discontent, impatient with what's happening, we're aware of, of that hindrance, of that stickiness. The attitude or thought that of practice is too tiring for the mind. Experience is too boring. How many times do I have to see the same breath? You know, without that patience, we can't see that it's never the same breath. It's like that crystallized, frozen water drop. And without that patience, the form, the idea of breath can't fa won't fall away into that sort of naked experience of what's really happening when the idea, the concept of breath, of body, vanishes for a moment. So the patience reawakens, refires the imagination of mindfulness when, the, when we grow tired. Excitement at progress or depression at the lack of progress, that too is a hindrance, the hindrance of restlessness, worry. Patience can hold the frenetic extent of that excitement or depression, transform it into calm. The wider the patience, the more that energy of restlessness or depression can transform into that calm abiding. And of course, we doubt at times this. Uh, <clears throat> entire enterprise of enlightenment all kind of comes crashing down. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Can I do this? The dream of the Dharma is reawakened whenever we're not blinded by these, these forces of, of wanting and aversion and Weariness and doubt, when we, again, aren't compelled by distractions, there is a, a waking in the mist. You know, and for a moment, we are reminded why we do this. It's really inspiring, you know, that, that we all come here to do what we have often heard as and felt ourselves as being the most difficult thing we've ever done. The most difficult thing we can ever do. To develop this quality of awareness and turn it inward to our own experience honestly. 
you know, humbly accepting what we see, not what we want to see. This is how patience is a, is a power. Our bold prince, five weapons, in order to continue his journey, you know, into, uh, as the bodhisattva, into the fruitions of the practice, had to relinquish any reactiveness he had to his own human strengths and limitations in facing the stickiness within. The renunciation that we practice is actually the meditation itself. Renunciation is meditation. We renounce primarily the need to control our experience or to control circumstances that arise. Secondly, we, we renounce that sense of being controlled by circumstance or experience. That's the renunciation of, of, of getting anything or getting rid of anything. What remains in those moments when we can so totally let go is a generosity of possibility. Everything creative, everything insightful, everything within the Dharma can be revealed in those moments when we're not hankering to get or get rid of. Renunciation creates this container of samadhi, this environment of collectedness of mind, unification of mind, so that we're able to see, feel what is real, what is true. In walking, for example, the practice of renunciation might be the, the reduced range of vision that we, that we do, that we practice. Just try it sometime. Try for a period of time or space, you know, for 10 minutes or half a day, even an entire day, or just the, 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 the space between walking from one end of the building to other, or, or walking an entire walking period, to limit your vision to just what you need to walk and be balanced with, with soft eyes. And soft eyes, so you can, you can move about, but you're not staring at anything. Just see what happens. And, and when you are compelled to look around, notice the, the energy leak that happens. It's like a rent in this container where the Dhamma energy exits and we get lost for a while. Notice the, how the energy is held and, and preserved when you can keep this reduced range. Uh, and also the turning the energy of thoughts inwardly into the experience of walking. You know, the energy of thoughts, rather than being distracted by thoughts about your experience or thoughts about past and future, it's as if you're you know, lassoing such energy or mind states, refocusing it on the moment. What you're doing, lifting, moving, placing. With such a, a sense of turning the mind away from distraction, we become more aware of compelling infatuation or repelling distaste in experience. And we become more aware of what often lies hidden. The, how impermanence is hidden by the velocity of our thoughts and being lost in them of our distractedness. How we see impermanence 
is when we you know, reduce the exit of energy, when we contain it. That's what renunciation is. That's how we see things. That's how, we, uh, how, that's how dukkha is revealed and how dukkha is often disguised as a, you know, as a happy experience. We think that by collecting things, by collecting experience, by collecting spiritual experiences, that will make us happy. Even that's a delusion. You know, holding on to that last good sitting, trying to get back, and pursuing that as happiness is itself dukkha. The power of renunciation is the letting go so that we can discover the selfless nature of being. That's usually veiled as a separate self, as someone to whom this experience is happening. Renunciation is the practice of contentment or simplicity. We sit and we walk. We move our bodies through space. We're fed. We're given shelter. There's nothing else we have to do. It's really a simple life. We're all living as nuns and monks. Our only, our only task is being in the present moment. Everything else is being taken care of for us. What a life. And yet it's really hard, you know, to be contented, to appreciate it. What is enough? This practice of contentedness, this practice in action of renunciation, you know, it ratchets up the attention to what we need to meet the moment or relaxes us into the moment so that the cravings of mind recede long enough to, to taste con contentment and to know when there's a desire craving for more know what is just enough and to know when there's this grasping for more. All these four qualities, faith, that's the, the devotion to our practice, uh, the confidence in its liberating nature, the trust in its particular way of unfolding and carrying us. The quality of energy as a courageous force in practice. The strength that moves us through uh, all the domains of pleasure and pain. Moment to moment uh, and throughout the life of our practice. That motivation. The patience that breadth of mind that can deal with the desirable and undesirable, just as it is, that learns that no matter what's arising in our experience, it's all an opportunity for uh, possibility, for unlimited generosity in understanding these elements of the Dhamma. And lastly, the renunciation. The actual practice of meditation. Practice of letting go. The ultimate renunciation. The ultimate letting go. The very refined, subtle awareness that's completely contented and at peace with things as they are. And then even lets go with that, of that. Let's go of all conditioned experience. The ultimate renunciation is the peace of Nibbana, is the deathless. So it's our entire meditation, renunciation, up to and including that ultimate one dharma, the dharma of 
complete peace and liberation. So as we practice, these forces come forth. Let them stream through. They're in awareness. Let our awareness stream into all of our experience, to the, into the symphony of experience and awareness. And we'll see, we'll discover how we're carried by the Dhamma. I'd like to close with this uh, poem by Rilke. It's a translation by Robert Bly. This clumsy living that moves, lumbering, as if in ropes through what is not done, reminds us of the awkward way the swan walks. And to die, which is the letting go of the ground we stand on and cling to every day, is like the swan when he nervously lets himself down into the water, which receives him gaily and which flows joyfully under and after him, wave after wave, while the swan, unmoving and marvelously calm, is pleased to be carried, each moment more fully grown, more like a king, further and further on. Let's sit together a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.